Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our big win over Lazio on Sunday. Then in part 2, I'll review our latest Primavera match, which was on Friday. And in part 3, we'll preview our midweek fixture against Sassuolo. So let's start with Napoli's win over Lazio on Sunday. The match finished 4-0 on goals from Piotr Zielinski, Dries Mertens, who scored a doppietta, and Fabian Ruiz. To say that Napoli won is probably an understatement. This was much more than a win. It was an obliteration. Napoli just about dominated the match from start to finish, which was a fitting performance on the night the club honored Diego Armando Maradona. There was a pre-match ceremony that included the unveiling of Domenico Sepe's statue of Maradona. This was actually a different version of the statue that was unveiled during the week. The two notable differences were the one outside the stadium had the ball on Maradona's foot, which apparently offended some people because the ball was on his right foot instead of on his left. I don't really care about that. The statue inside the stadium had the ball on his thigh, though, which was a truer replication of that classic image of Maradona in the Argentina shirt. The statue in the stadium also had a gold foot, which was based on a scan of Maradona's actual foot. If you didn't have access to the pre-match ceremony, there was a montage that showed how the statue was built, which was pretty cool. At the beginning of the montage, they played Alejandro Romero's La Mano de Dios, which was nice, but I would have preferred that they used Foya's Napolitan cover, A Mano de Dios. I just think it would have been more fitting to use the version made by the local band and sung in the native tongue. The montage finished with Osordato Namorato, which our friend Dom from Napoli Talk noted on Instagram 
was the club's anthem when Maradona played for Napoli and for some reason hadn't been heard at the stadium for nearly 10 years. And then there were special video messages, one from another footballing legend in Pelé and from Maradona's teammate Caraca, so that was great to see as well. I thought the group of people who unveiled the statue was a bit of a curious lot. It included De Laurentiis and his son MVP of the club Edo, that makes sense, they own the club. It also included Corrado Ferlaino, who was the president of the club when Maradona played. On the face of it, that makes sense, but Ferlaino and Maradona didn't exactly have the best relationship, despite them winning two Scudetti together. And then there was FIFA president Gianni Infantino, who I guess was invited because Maradona won the World Cup in 86 with Argentina and reached the final in 1990, but again, that seemed like a curious selection to me. All in all though, I thought the ceremony was really well done. The club also honored Maradona by wearing the third of three commemoration kits, this time in the Azzurri blue. If you include the Europa League, that's the ninth different kit we've worn this season, and we're only 14 matches into the season, but they keep selling out, so there's clearly a demand there. Just like last season against Roma, the real tribute though was what we saw on the pitch after the ceremony. Ironically, both matches finished 4-0. That's what we'll spend the rest of this part talking about, but first, let's get to the starting lineups. Lazio lined up pretty much as expected. Sadi used his usual 4-3-3 with ex-Napoli keeper Pepe Reina in goal. Luis Felipe and Francesco Acerbi lined up at center back. Another ex in LCD Hisai started at left back, and curiously, Patrick started over Manuel Lazzari at right back. Danilo Cataldi played as the regista behind Sergei Milinkovic Savic and Luis Alberto. Pedro started over Matias Zaccani on the left wing, which I was expecting given that Zaccani had played two matches in four days, having just returned from injury. Felipe Anderson started on the right wing, and Chiro Immobile started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made one change to my predicted 11 and four changes to the squad he fielded against Spartak Moscow. David Ospina started in goal over Alex Meret. Amir Rachmani returned to the starting 11 after Juan Jesus played in the Europa League. He started alongside the Comandante, Khaledou Koulibaly. Mario Rui started at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. Diego Deme was back in the squad after testing negative for COVID, but he started on the bench. Stanislav Lobotka started in his second consecutive match in the double pivot. He played alongside Fabian Ruiz, who returned to the starting 11 as well. That allowed Piotr Zielinski to play in his usual number 10, which in turn allowed Dries Mertens to start in the number 9 over Andrea Petania. Lorenzo Insigne also returned to the starting 11, relegating Elif Elmas to the bench, and Chucky Lozano started again on the right wing. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match, and I think there's only one place to start, and that has to be the play of Dries Mertens. He definitely made me eat my words for predicting that Petania would start. Between the goal he scored against Inter and the two goals he scored in this match, I've definitely underestimated what he's capable of. I thought this was his best performance in a really long time. Even though he scored a few goals after returning from his ankle injury, he was laboring and it seemed like he hadn't fully recovered from the injury. And I do wonder whether that's the reason Mertens decided to finally have surgery on his shoulder that he said has been bothering him for a while. What I mean is, by having the shoulder surgery in the summer, it wasn't just his shoulder recovering, but also his ankle, and that has enabled him to be far more mobile now. I've also been skeptical about what he can contribute at his age, but like some of the other more senior players around the league, like Zlatan, elite players might lose their pace, but they certainly don't lose their IQ 
or their touch. I don't think Mertens had a single poor touch in this match. He looked like he was having a blast out there, and I think that kind of passion and joy is contagious. There was one play where he made an overlap with Insignia. Insignia's pass was heavy and Mertens slid on his knees towards the byline. On the replay, you could see that he was smiling ear to ear, which just warms the heart. So this is a good spot to review the first three goals because Mertens played a key role in all of them. On the first, he dropped deep to receive the pass from Mario Rui, as you would expect from a false nine. We actually saw Mertens dropping deep time and time again in this match. He switched the play to Lozano before continuing his run into the area. Shout out to Lozano for picking out Mertens' run. Now, I'm almost certain that Mertens was fouled in the area, and had Zielinski not blasted that shot in, VAR probably would have awarded us a penalty. That was Zielinski's third goal in his last four Serie A matches, which is huge. I loved how fired up he was to score that goal. You could see just how much this match meant to these players. I did a Q&A for the Laziali, and in response to a question about the loss of Osimen, I said we would need to get more production from our wingers and our attacking midfielders, and I think it's safe to say that we got that in this match. Now, that was based on the assumption that Mertens and Patania would not be able to produce at the same rate that Osimen did, but apparently I was wrong about that, at least in this match. Mertens scored twice, the first coming in the 10th minute. That led many to suggest that perhaps there was some divine intervention at play here. On the night that we remember in Maradona, a player with the initials DM scored in the 10th minute. Mertens also dribbled through the Lazio backline like Maradona would, first opening up his body to get past the Cherby, and then he sent Patrick flying with a dummy before side-footing his shot into the top corner. Laziali weren't too happy with their defending on that play, but I think we also have to give Mertens credit for having the composure to make that play. I also saw some criticism of Pepe Reina, which I don't think was warranted. I know Mertens didn't exactly pick the corner perfectly, but when you hit the ball with the kind of pace that he did and from that distance, it's extremely difficult to make the save. I also think the fake shot would have frozen the keeper a little bit as well. Credit to Fabian and Insignia on this play too. Fabian played a lovely ball over the top to Insignia on the wing, and then Insignia did really well to stay onside first of all, and then made a really difficult pass with the outside of his right boot. I don't think there's another player in the league that is better at controlling the ball with the outside of their boot than Insignia is. Merton's second goal was the cream of the crop, though Napoli completed 21 passes in the build-up to that goal, and every outfield player touched the ball during the sequence. Fabian made the most passes in the build-up with 5, followed by Mario Rui, but it wasn't just that everyone touched the ball, it was also how they did it. The movement, the quick passing, the switch by Fabian, placing the ball perfectly on Lozano's foot, the elegance with which Lozano took the ball down, and the weight on his pass to Mertens, and then finally Mertens' finish. Mertens had only one touch during that play, but it was absolutely sublime. This was a vintage Mertens finish, the kind we used to see on the regular when Sadi was on our side of the touchline. Anna Trieste had a great tweet about this. She said, If you don't know what Katsima is, watch Napoli Lazio and Spalletti reviving Mertens and Sarismo in Sadi's face. She's absolutely right about that. Spalletti's team put on a clinic in Sadi ball against Maurizio Sadi. It was just stunning to watch. I love that no matter what the score was, we continued to press high and win the ball back in Lazio's half. Lazio really struggled to play out of that press and often gave the ball right back to us, and that's why the possession stats were so lopsided in our favor. 
Another reason was because of how well we played out of the back. Lobotka was absolutely critical in that regard, and I think he was a key player in this performance. He was constantly in motion, constantly showing for the ball. Then when he did get the ball, he released it quickly and opened up again. He's another player who hardly made a poor touch, so it wasn't just Mertens who did a formidable job covering for an injured player. Lobotka was excellent covering for Angisa. On the fourth goal, we completed something like 50 consecutive passes before Fabian scored yet again from outside the area. About 40 of those passes were inside our own half and Latsu had resigned themselves to the loss by that point, which is probably why this goal didn't get as much attention as the third one. So Spalletti definitely proved that this team is capable of scoring goals without Victor Osimhen, which was certainly a concern of mine. This was the subject of the zone's pre-match coverage, and I thought Dario Marcolin provided some great insight. He was asked how Napoli's tactics would differ with Osimhen in the lineup compared to without him, and his response was that with Osimhen in the squad, Napoli isolate Victor up top and go long. He used two examples to show that, a chance that Victor had against Sampdoria and another against Udinese. You'll probably remember the Sampdoria one. The play started with a Sampdoria corner kick. Napoli had nine players in our own area and Victor was alone up top. The ball fell to Insigne and he immediately launched the ball forward to Osimhen. He blew past the defender to get 1v1 with the keeper, but he wasn't able to score. The example in the Udinese match showed that Napoli play Victor even when he's outnumbered. On that chance, he was going alone against Udinese's back four and he still got free, but again, he didn't score. Marcolin then contrasted that with the Elmas goal against Spartak Moscow, where Napoli had four players in the area. So he was showing that when Osman is not in the squad, we tend to get forward in numbers. That's exactly what we saw in all of the goals in this match. So I thought that was a great bit of assessment by Marcolin. The nice thing about this performance was that Spalletti was able to make some changes relatively early in the match. In the 65th minute, he replaced Mertens with Petania and Lozano with Elmas. That tells me that Mertens and Lozano will probably start against Sassuolo midweek. Diego Deme got his first action after being out for a couple of weeks, so that was great to see as well. That also allowed Zielinski to rest a bit. Now, I would have liked to see one of Gulam or Malqui come on a bit earlier just because at 3-0, I think this match was already won. You have to save a sub in case someone gets hurt, so I might have subbed in Gulam at the same time as Deme and then left Malqui to the end, but now I'm just nitpicking. Also, I think part of the reason Spalletti waited until the last 5 minutes was because he wanted to test that 3-4-1-2 that he's been talking about. He used Gulam and Malqui as the wingbacks, Deme and Lobotka in the center of the midfield, Elmas in the 10, and Insigne and Petania up top. Now I just want to make a quick comment about Lazio's play before I wrap up this review. As great as Napoli were, I thought Lazio were really poor. I think Ciro Immobile was right when he said after the match that Lazio just didn't show up, which was more of an issue with attitude and mentality. He said Napoli played like a team that wanted to be on the top of the table. They wanted to win every ball, which is true. Now that mentality really shows on Lazio's away record, which is really abysmal. They now have only one win, two draws, and four losses away from home, and they've conceded 17 goals, which is second worst in the league. Only Spezia have conceded more goals away from home. Lazio have not won in Napoli since May of 2015. During his entire tenure at Lazio, Simone Inzaghi never won a game in Napoli. In fact, he lost all but one game 
and that other game was a draw. So any Laziali that were asking for Sadi's head probably need to give him a pass here. Shout out to the Lazio Lounge podcast for those stats. By the way, if you want to get the Lazio perspective on this match, I highly recommend that podcast. They do a great job. Back to Immobile though, he is a class act. As the captain of the club, he apologized to Laziali for the performance, which is not something many players have the humility to do. Now, I was really surprised by the play of Lazio's midfield. On paper, Milinkovic, Savic, and Luis Alberto are superior to Fabian and Lobotka, but to Chito's point, the midfield really didn't show up. In Sadi's 4-3-3, everyone needs to press and everyone needs to get back to defend. When you don't do that or when you half-ass it, like Milinkovic, Savic, and Alberto did, you leave a lot of space on the field. You may get away with that against lesser opponents, but against a team that was playing as sharp as Napoli were on this night, you're going to get picked apart. Laziali were also not happy with Milinkovic Savic who appeared to smirk when he was taken off the field. Now, personally, I think this is being blown way out of proportion. None of us really know why he smirked, but he did have an air about him like he was too good to be taken off, and I think that's why Laziali were so upset. Luis Alberto came very close to scoring about midway through the first half, but Ospina made a ridiculous save on him, and then Lazio hit the frame of the goal on the ensuing corner kick. But other than that chance, I thought Luis Alberto had a poor performance. That said, I also agree with Sadi's comments after the match. He said Lazio played poorly, but even if they didn't, Napoli would have still won, which was an acknowledgement of just how well Napoli played. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review our latest Primavera match. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our Primavera match against Lecce on Friday. Lecce came into this match sitting in 15th position in Primavera 1, which is one of the two relegation playoff positions. They had eight points with a record of one win, five draws, and three losses. That one win was against Hellas Verona on match day three, so Lecce were winless in their previous seven matches in Primavera 1. But the five draws, which was the most in the league, tells you that this team is also not that easy to beat. Of course, Lecce are a team we're familiar with. Both of these clubs were promoted from Primavera Due B last season. Lecce won the group while Napoli had to qualify through the playoff. Meanwhile, Napoli came into this match tied with Fiorentina and Empoli for second in the table on 16 points, 7 points behind Roma. However, despite being so high up in the table, we'd really struggled at home. Of those 16 points, 12 were earned away from home, and only 4 were earned at home. We were looking to build off of our win over Torino, but we would have to do it without a couple of key players. Giuseppe Ambrosino and Davide Costanzo were both ruled out for this match. I'm not exactly sure why Ambrosino didn't play, but Costanzo picked up an injury against Torino. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Lecce lined up in a 4-3-3 with Alexandru Borbe in goal. Kevin Torok and Emin Hasic started at centre-back. Rob Nizet started at left-back and Mats Lemenz started at right-back. Kathleen Vulturar started in the centre of the midfield with Christian Macri to his left and Juan Gonzalez to his right. Noah Back started on the left wing. Henry Saloma started on the right wing. And Kathleen Brunette started at striker. 
For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi made four changes to the squad he fielded against Torino. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 with Hubert Dasiak in goal. Musa Mane played well in place of Costanzo against Torino, which earned him a start in this match. He played in the back three with Daniel Hisai and Benedetto Barba. Alessandro Spavone and Coli Sacco started again in the center of the midfield. Matteo Marquisano moved from the right side to the left side of the midfield to start over Francesco De Marco, and Domenico Di Donna started on the right side. Antonio Cioffi and Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the two trequartisti. Finally, Giovanni Mercurio started at striker with Ambrosino ruled out. This was Mercurio's first start in the Primavera Uno, and it was the first time the two ex-body players, Mane and Mercurio, started a match together. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. Lecce played far better than their record would suggest. They make it very difficult for the opposition to create any chances, and you can see why they have so many draws. If you exclude their 5-1 loss to Spal in the previous round, which is an outlier, Lecce were averaging just one goal conceded per match. We saw that in this match as well, chances definitely came at a premium. Fortunately, Napoli are an excellent defensive team as well. If you exclude our 6-1 loss to Pescara, which is also an outlier, we had conceded only 9 goals in our previous 8 matches, so we were averaging just over 1 goal conceded per match. So it wasn't terribly surprising that the ball spent most of the match in the middle third of the pitch. Napoli had the first chance of the match in the 12th minute with Marquisano crossing the ball into the area from the left wing. D'Agostino put his header on target, but Borbe made the save. Lecce didn't get their first chance until about midway through the half. Sacco fouled Saloma about 40 yards away from the Napoli goal. Saloma took the free kick himself and went directly for goal. It was a speculative effort, but it actually didn't miss by much. Neither side created much until the end of the half, and even those two chances I just mentioned were more half chances than anything. The first real chance of the match came in the 45th minute, and it was a chance for Lecce. Nizet crossed the ball from the left wing, and it found its way to back in the area. He hit a volley on target, and for a moment, with the rain pouring down, it looked like the ball might just squeeze through Idasiak's legs, but the keeper just managed to keep the ball out. Then, in the second minute of stoppage time, Napoli took the lead. The play started with a throw-in by Marquisano on the left wing. He played the ball to Chofi, who dribbled towards the byline before playing a low cross into the area. The ball rolled through to Didona just outside the top of the box. He fired towards the left side of the goal, but the ball deflected off D'Agostino towards the right side. With Borbe diving to his right to try to stop the initial shot, he had no chance of stopping the deflection. Initially, I thought this was a lucky goal and that D'Agostino was really just trying to move out of the way, but when I saw it again, I think he actually intended to redirect the ball the other way just by the way he opened up his body. That was his second goal of the season, which is second most in the team behind Ambrosino. One of the strengths of this team is that we get productivity from so many different players. Other than Ambrosino and D'Agostino, eight different players have exactly one goal this season. So Napoli took a 1-0 lead into the break. Now Lecce were definitely the more aggressive team in the second half looking to score that equalizer. In the 50th minute, Gonzalo's played a give and go with Saloma. He carried the ball on the right wing before playing it into the area. He was trying to play the ball through to back, but he side blocked the pass. 
The ball fell for Brunette, who went to ground after Sacco stepped in front of him, but the penalty wasn't given. I think that was the right decision. There wasn't a whole lot of contact there. Had he taken the shot first time, he might have scored, but by taking the extra touch, he allowed Sacco to nip in. I thought Sacco had another excellent match in the midfield with his size. He is such a physical presence. Lecce's next chance was in the 54th minute after Manet fouled back about 30 yards from our goal. Once again, Lecce tried to score directly from the free kick, and once again, they weren't that far off. This time, Vulturar took the shot, which was low and hard towards the bottom corner, but Idacia got there with plenty of time to make the save. Napoli were not to be outdone though, and actually created the best chance of the second half around the hour mark. Chofi fired a curling shot from about 25 yards out, and would have scored had it not been for an excellent intervention by Borbe. We had a lovely spell of possession just prior to that chance, completing 15 consecutive passes before D'Agostino won a slide tackle to get the ball to Chofi. Lecce immediately responded with a chance of their own from a corner kick. Saloma took the corner, which Lemons headed towards the top corner of the goal, but this time Idasiak made a fantastic save to keep the shot out. Idasiak was probably our best player in the second half. In the 76th minute, he watched another long-range effort from Volturar bounce just wide of our goal. Then a minute later, Gonzalez crossed from the left wing. Brunette won the header over Mane, but Idasiak stopped that attempt as well. With tensions running high, Lecce manager Vito Griesco was sent off for descent, which meant that Lecce had to play the final 10 minutes of the match without their coach, but that did not stop them from pushing forward. In the 82nd minute, Hisai headed a Lecce corner kick clear, but only to the edge of the area. Vulturar hit a powerful volley towards the goal, but Sacco made a really important block and then cleared the ball to safety. Finally, in the third minute of stoppage time, Vulturar launched the ball forward, substitute Giulio Carozzo won the header, and back got to the ball just before Mane. He fired on target, but once again, Idasic made a quality save. That was the final chance for either side in the match, but Lecce were rightfully furious when the match official blew his final whistle with a full minute of stoppage time left to play. In fact, with all the time wasting that Napoli did during stoppage time, there were probably two minutes still remaining, but in the end, the match finished 1-0. So this was an important win for a team that has really struggled to get points at home. For the second consecutive week, we got help from the other matches. Roma tied Juventus 2-2, so we pulled within four points of Roma at the top of the table. Empoli lost 2-0 to Sampdoria, so they dropped down to sixth in the table. Fiorentina drew Genoa 0-0, so we pulled two points clear of Fiorentina. And with Torino beating Hellas Verona 4-1, they have now caught Fiorentina on 17 points. That means we are now in sole possession of second place in the table. The Azzurini will be back in action on Friday to take on Inter. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll preview our midweek fixture against Sassuolo. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a preview of our match against Sassuolo on Wednesday. Sassuolo come into this match sitting in 12th in the table with 18 points. That's a significant drop-off from where they were this time last season. After 14 rounds last season, Sassuolo were in 5th in the table with 26 points, but I think we were all expecting a bit of a drop-off with the departures of Roberto De Zerbi, Manuel Locatelli, and Francesco Caputo. 
the Zerbi left to join Shakhtar Donetsk. He was replaced by Alessio Dionisi just a season after leading Empoli to a Serie A promotion. I was a little bit surprised by that appointment, but so far Dionisi is not doing too bad. I'll come back to that in just a second. Caputo was allowed to leave because Sassuolo viewed Giacomo Raspadori as their future striker. So far, Raspadori hasn't really lived up to expectations, at least as far as goal production goes. He has only one goal and two assists through 14 matches. Now, obviously goals are not everything, but when you're replacing a guy who scored 32 goals over the last two seasons, that's pretty important. Fortunately for Sassuolo, they also have Gianluca Scamacca who returns from his loan spell at Genoa. He started the season as a substitute, but he has played his way into the starting 11, and given the national team's lack of a true number 9, he could well find himself wearing the Azzurri for Italy's World Cup qualifying playoff in March. Davide Fratesi returned from his loan at Monza to replace Locatelli in the midfield, and he has looked very, very good. He had a strong U21 Euros back in March, and has carried that form into this season. If he keeps playing the way he has, he could definitely be the next player that Sassuolo donate to Juventus. In all seriousness though, I think you can make a strong argument that Fratesi has been more important to Sassuolo than Locatelli has been for Juventus, so that's excellent succession planning from the Nero Verde. Sassuolo's biggest issue so far this season has been consistency. They are definitely a bogey team. They are capable of winning or losing to any team in the league. They have losses against Torino, Udinese, and Empoli, but they also have wins against Juventus and Milan. They did us a huge favor beating Milan, but that match was also a reminder of their quality. Fortunately, we have a couple of players back in the squad. In fact, they both play the same position. Matteo Politano tested negative for COVID and completed the full group training on Monday and Tuesday. However, his agent Mario Giuffredi told Radio Punto Nuovo that he will be on the bench against Sassuolo and will play against Atalanta. Adam Unas also completed the full group training on Monday and Tuesday, so he will be another option off the bench. Unfortunately, Costas Manolas will not be in the squad. It's been a rough season for Manolas with injuries. Now he's contracted gastroenteritis, which is inflammation in the stomach and intestines. Usually it takes only a couple of days to recover, so I suspect Manolas will be back in the squad for the Atalanta match. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Dionisi will line up in a 4-3-3 with Andrea Consigli in goal. Francesco Ferrari will start alongside either Khan Ehan or Vlad Kirikes at centre-back. Ehan started the last two matches, so I'm going to go with Kirikes to start this one. Dionisi rotates quite a bit at fullback. At left-back, he'll either start Giorgios Kiriokopoulos or Rogerio. And at right-back, he'll either start Merto Muldur or Jeremy Tolian. In the midfield, I think we'll see Maxim Lopez play as the regista behind Fratesi and Hamid Jr. Traore. Both Filip Juricic and Pedro Obiang are out with injuries, so Sassuolo are lacking a bit of depth in the midfield at the moment. That's why we saw Mateus Henrique start against Milan. He actually played really well in that match, so I wouldn't be shocked if Dionisi went back to him for this match. Finally, up top, I think we'll see Raspadori on the left wing, Domenico Berardi on the right wing, and Scamacca at striker. Raspadori is fortunate to even be playing in this match. He made a studs-up challenge on Milan's Ishmael Benacer at the weekend and should have been sent off, but he was not. Sassuolo would have had a big problem on the left wing if Raspadori was sent off because Jeremy Boga is not in the squad. 
For Napoli, I don't think we're going to see many changes from Luciano Spalletti. He'll line up in his 4-2-3-1 with David Ospina in goal. With Manolas out, Kaladu Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani will start again at centre-back. Mario Rui will start at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right-back. In the midfield, I think we might see Diego Demis start over Stanislav Lobotka alongside Fabian Ruiz. Lobotka played well against Lazio, but he started two matches in a short period of time, so I think Deme will get the nod. I think Spalletti leaving Lobotka out there for the full 90 minutes against Lazio is a hint that Deme starts. I think the front four will not change from the Lazio match. Piotr Zielinski will start in the number 10, Lorenzo Insigne on the left wing, Chucky Lozano on the right wing, and Dries Mertens in the number 9. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to approach this match with the same mentality that we approached the last one. That is, we have to view this match as an opportunity to maintain the sole possession of first place. Obviously, the match against Lazio was a very emotional one, so this could well be a letdown match. That's where we need Spalletti to earn his paycheck. And that's not a slight against Gattuso. After beating Roma 4-0 last season, his Napoli beat Crotone 4-0 in the following match. But Spalletti has spent a lot of time focusing on changing the culture at the club and instilling a winning mentality. So this is an opportunity to put that work into practice. We need to respect Sassuolo and not take them for granted. As I said, they are a team that is capable of winning any match on any given day. So we need to be focused squarely on this match. We can't be thinking of that marvelous win over Lazio and we can't be looking ahead to another big match coming up against Atalanta. The two matches we've dropped points so far this season have been away from home so we are slightly more vulnerable when we're not playing at the Maradona. Our second key to the match is that we need to mark Sassuolo tight. Scamacca and Berardi are both players that can punish you from distance so we can't give them the space to shoot the ball. Berardi plays as an inverted winger and he is constantly looking to cut into his favored left foot and curl his shot towards the back post much like Lorenzo Insigne likes to do on the opposite wing. Scamacca can score in a variety of ways. He can beat you in the air with his size. He can beat you with his runs into the area and his ability to finish. And as we saw against Milan, he can score from distance. Though Raspadori hasn't scored much this season, he is still a threat to score. He's particularly dangerous if he gets 1v1 with the keeper, so we need to make sure we keep him in front of us at all times. In theory, if we do what we did against Lazio, we should be able to negate this attack, and there's two ways that we stopped Lazio. First, we simply didn't let them have the ball, which was not something we game planned for Lazio. That's part of the identity of Spalletti's Napoli. We want as much of the ball as possible. The second way we stopped Lazio was by playing compact and defending as a team. That meant covering for players that push up. We saw Fabian doing a lot of that when Mario Rui got forward. Our wingers always track back to help defend. And perhaps most important will be the defensive work from our central midfielders. My final key to the match is that we need to take our chances. Again, looking back to that Milan match, which is still fresh in my mind, Milan started the match really well. They had plenty of opportunities to score, which you will get against the Sassuolo team. The problem is they didn't take those early chances, and then when Milan finally scored, they allowed Sassuolo right back into the match. Now, obviously it's hard to beat any team that scores three goals, but I think if Milan had scored twice in that first half... Sassuolo would have had a much harder time recovering from that deficit, let alone overcoming it. 
Not to be pessimistic, but I'm a little bit concerned with how we scored against Lazio. Aside from the Zielinski goal, the other three were all wonder strikes. That's great when things are going our way, but on another day, we could just as well have missed those shots. We score a lot of goals from outside the area, but those are low percentage shots. Hopefully we can continue to do that, but I also hope we get some scoring in more traditional ways from set pieces, corner kicks, crosses, and so on. At the end of the day though, I don't really care how we score as long as we put the ball in the back of the goal. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli win. For Napoli, I'll give the goals to Dries Mertens, Piotr Zielinski, and Andrea Petania off the bench. For Sassuolo, I'll go with a hot hand in Gianluca Scamacca. He scored in each of Sassuolo's last two matches now. We don't concede many goals, but Sassuolo always seem to score at least one, even against the bigger clubs. They've scored against Roma, Atalanta, Inter, Juve, and Milan this season. Their problem, though, is other than that Milan match, they only seem to collect points against the weaker teams like Salernitana, Genoa, Venezia, Juventus, and Cagliari. This is a really important match for us, particularly because Sassuolo beat our direct rival. That was Milan's second loss in a row. The first one was against Fiorentina. So if we win, we would have beaten the two teams that beat Milan. Obviously, we have to worry about Inter and Atalanta as well. But the reason it's important to beat the teams that beat our competitors is because that gives us a little bit of breathing room in case we do drop points against a team like Atalanta. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. Before I let you go, be sure to check out our first Napolitan song of the week, which I posted on the Forza Napoli pod Twitter page. Given the weekend's events, I chose Foya's Amano Adios. For those of you who are new to the pod, I interviewed the lead singer of Foya, Dario Sansone, this past summer, so be sure to check that out if you haven't already. So that will do for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one, which is another big one against Atalanta. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.